There are so many people indicted in the college admissions scandal from this week that I could really start the story of what happened with any of them. Today, Oscar-nominated actor Felicity Huffman and Full House actor Lori Laughlin were arrested. I could tell you about the Hollywood stars who allegedly paid thousands of dollars to boost their kids' standardized test scores and might have straight-up bought admission to an elite college. And they are just two of the 32 parents criminally charged in a massive college admission scandal involving 50 people across six states. Or I could tell you about the USC water polo coach who reportedly took money in exchange for slots in the school's freshman class. But I'm going to start with someone else. I'm going to start with Rick Singer. So Rick Singer, you know, he was a well-known figure in this in this world. Um, That's the world of college admissions, which is Andy Thomason's world, too. He's an editor at the Chronicle of Higher Education. Uh, and this is a quote. Rick has an encyclopedic knowledge of colleges and universities in America. Far more important, Rick is really great at getting at the heart of what kids and families want and finding the right match. That quote you just heard is from a former college president. So that indicates a kind of respect and prominence uh, in this field. Rick Singer even had a book called Getting In. It advised kids and parents how to get admitted to their dream school. He had been a consultant, um, college counselor type for a long time, and he came up with this idea uh, that his company would essentially give a side door to parents of children who were applying to elite colleges. And as he described it, there's the front door that's applying like most of the world applies to these colleges. And there's the back door, which is making large donations uh, so that the admissions office gives your child a second look. And what he did was crafted a couple of side doors in this very porous admissions process. And the side doors were the bribes. Singer had different options at different prices. If you had $15,000 to spare, he might be able to find someone to take your kid's SAT for them, or at least correct their answers. If you had more, he might pay off a college coach, get your kid admitted as a soccer or sailing recruit. And all these techniques are laid out step-by-step in a 200-page indictment that was made public Tuesday morning. This kind of story, when it comes out, this seems like it's like your Watergate. (laughs) Um. That is an interesting way to describe it. Um, The tremendous power of this story is not in demonstrating what is illegal, but what is legal. The system, as is well known, totally benefits um, and skews toward, toward affluent students. That is a problem that people in admissions have been wrestling with for a long time. You know, this morning I saw this report that the FBI woke up Felicity Huffman with guns drawn to, you know, confront her with these allegations. She's, of course, accused of buying SATs basically for her kid. I wonder when you see stuff like that, I just wonder if you think as an education reporter and someone who covers this, is the FBI taking aim at the right people? Yeah, that's a hard question. Um, it's that's that's a really hard one. 
The way you look at this college admission story, who you hold responsible for it, it depends a lot on who you are, where you're coming from. Most Americans don't go to elite schools like the ones in this indictment. Many people already assume the system's rigged and not in their favor. So today, I wanted to talk to someone who's been around this college system about how to fix it. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Julie Lithcott-Hames spent years as a dean at Stanford University. Still lives in Palo Alto. In her time as a college administrator, she watched as parents became more and more involved in their kids' lives on campus. She even wrote a book about it. So when she heard this week's allegations, she thought, It's the absurd end point. I mean, the next step would be the parent goes to college for the child and pretends to be the child and does all the work for the child so the child will get the right GPA in college to get to the right grad school or the right workplace. Well, as a college administrator, I wonder, you, you saw these indictments come out yesterday. What did you think? Look, I'm, a, I'm an African-American woman. I have been told all my life that I got into college because of my race. The rhetoric in America is that affirmative action gives black and brown people spots that are supposed to be for white people. That's the narrative. And what we learned yesterday is that whatever slots are set aside for a handful of black and brown kids pale in comparison to the number of slots given to donor kids, legacy kids, and athletes who are, by the way, predominantly white. I think there's a lot of vindication for folks in today's news that the greatest affirmative action in this country actually goes to white, wealthy white people. Hmm. I think a lot of people sort of assume that college admissions is a little bit is influenceable. I don't want to say corrupt. That sounds too strong. But I think a lot of people assume that college admissions is a little bit of a game. You know, you can work really hard to get in and also you can pay your way in if mom and dad like buy a building, if you have those kinds of resources, you know, that might help you get in. But what was interesting to me is that these allegations, they kind of lay out a third way or a bunch of third ways where, you know, you can pay someone to help you with your standardized tests and you can negotiate how much they're going to help you, whether they're going to, you know, sort of answer questions or correct questions or help you through it. And then you can also do this athletic recruitment thing, which I'd never heard of before. Had you? No. I mean, I, the stuff that came out yesterday was beyond anything I had ever heard. The, the athletic recruitment is effectively, let me pretend my child is a kicker on a football team, or let me pretend my child is a sailor, uh, will pay off those coaches 
to quote unquote, recruit my child who isn't even good at that sport. And that's how the kid will get the extra thumb on the scale and get in. I mean, it's it's just preposterous. This athletic recruitment scam was the most expensive option for parents. They could pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for guaranteed admission. It exploited this honor system, a handshake agreement between coaches and admissions directors. It gives athletic departments a certain number of slots each year to use at their own discretion. When you have an athletics program, you have a sense of how many freshmen that particular program needs. And so you know that there are going to be four sailors and, you know, 20 football players and eight gymnasts, whatever it is. You trust, you know what your admission standards are, and you talk with your coach and you say to your coach, okay, here's what your athletes need to be able to demonstrate academically. Um, But then you trust that the coach is evaluating the young person's athletic merit. I mean, this, this, the facts that are coming out in the indictment are there are kids who've been sort of recruited, quote unquote, for teams without ever having played that sport. That's not for the admission dean to interrogate. That's the athletic department behaving incredibly unethically. You know, the admissions dean's got to ask, can that rower do the work in the classroom? The rowing coach has got to ask, you know, is this someone I want in my boat? It struck me looking at it, there are all these chances along the way for parents and the guy offering them, you know, this sort of out, this workaround. There are all these chances for them to be caught And they talk about the chances for them to be caught a lot. Like one of the parents, a bunch of the parents, sort of mentioned, oh, if if my kids' SAT scores get bumped up, won't the tutors notice? And the answer is, well, no, because, like, they want the scores to go up. So it just kind of looks good for them. Yeah. And then there's even a college admissions officer from one of the kids' high schools who sort of pops up and observes, like, hold it your kid is being admitted as a rower. They're not really a rower. And you can see them sort of putting it together and they get quieted down too. And when I saw that, I was like, wow, there really is no point in this system where any kind of mechanism is triggered to prevent this kind of action. Yeah. I mean, it ultimately points to the fact that the system is incredibly flawed you know, if you look at these SAT scores, for example, SAT scores are a function of wealth. Everybody knows it. SAT scores are correlated with zip code, not because wealthy kids are inherently brighter, but because wealthy kids can afford to prep and prep some more and prep again for these tests and retake them to the point of, you know, getting top scores. And if colleges would recognize that, and stop asking for SAT scores, then we could go back to evaluating kids on the merits of what did you actually learn in high school? What do your recommenders say about you? What do you have to say for yourself? You know, these would be fairer measures. Yeah. And these days, college is so important. It's like, it's a baseline degree you need, or a lot of people think you need to have a career. And that means that college itself becomes kind of like a public utility. I I just wonder if it should be regulated like one. Yeah. I mean, I would like to see the college rankings go away. They, you know, U.S. News purports to be ranking the best colleges in America. And clearly parents with, with wealth have decided I'm going to do whatever it takes to get my child to one of those colleges. Now the research doesn't bear 
that out. You don't have to go to a big brand name school to have a great life. Let me tell you, the way to figure out who's best is to figure out at which college do undergraduates get to interact with faculty. Faculty attention, faculty mentoring, faculty teaching undergrads is what makes college great. Is that what U.S. News and World Report is actually ranking? They don't measure that at all. They measure these more tangible things that have nothing to do with the quality of education on the campus. And it's a flawed system. And it incentivizes colleges to keep admitting the kids with the highest test scores because test scores are a huge fraction of the ranking. So if they stop participating in U.S. News, the U.S. News rankings would just fall apart. Colleges could stop having to reward the, the kids who got the highest scores on tests come hell or high water and could start really evaluating kids on their actual merits. It seems to me like we've constructed sort of all of these ways that make the college admissions process kind of look like a meritocracy. And then this document (laughs) shows how there are all kinds of ways that it's not. And I'm just wondering, like, has the evidence always been there and we just haven't been looking at it? You know, it's never been a meritocracy. I mean, back in the day, they used to put quotas on uh, limits on the number of Jews they'd admit because they didn't want too many Jews in their undergraduate population. You know, we don't do that anymore. But that was, you know, early evidence that it isn't just about merit. It's about who do they want on their campuses and who do they want to exclude? This is just it's not a system about absolute pure merit as if that was measurable according to numbers. It's about which students do we want to have on our campus in order to contribute to the values we have here, the efforts we've got going on with research and in the classroom and, you know, who do we want to call ours? And I think schools have the right to decide who they want, but it shouldn't, it it should be intrinsically about the student. It shouldn't be about, oh, your parent is a billionaire and they just bought your way in. I mean, I just, I think of the damage that that does to a young person who basically forever knows, you know what, I didn't have, they didn't want me. They wanted my dad's money or my mom's money. I mean, I think that's got to really mess with a person psychologically. You talk a lot about parents and sort of their role in the admissions process and in advocating for their kids on college campuses and how you've seen it kind of become toxic. Absolutely. My concern as a dean and as a parent in Silicon Valley is what does all of this do to our kids? These parents are effectively telling their kids, uh, we're going to lie, cheat, and steal in order to get you to the college of our choice. And they're not, they're apparently not concerned with whether their kid can actually thrive there. You know, the kid that hasn't done the work themselves will find themselves bewildered in the classroom and needing a continual rescue by their parents, right? If, if you've manufactured your kid's childhood to get to a certain point, you've basically bought yourself a lifetime job of always managing your child who will be forever less than capable because you've overmanaged them. You said you had kids, right? Yes, ma'am. How old? I have a 19-year-old son in college and a 17-year-old daughter who's a senior in high school. Are you talking to them about this? Are they interested in it? <laughs> I mean, I think they're probably seeing me on Twitter. Who knows? Um, You know, in my book, I write not only as a former dean of freshmen, but as a parent in Silicon Valley who comes to terms with my own overparenting tendencies. Okay, I I came to realize, oh, I'm the problem parent. 
because I'm micromanaging my children. How am I going to let go of them at 18 when I'm overparenting them at 10 and 8? So I've been talking to my kids about the macro issue ever since I realized that I was complicit in the problem. And I work hard every day to try to make sure I'm giving my kids more and more autonomy so that they can be more independent and build the skills and competence that they're going to need in order to thrive out in the world. You know, my daughter is at one of the most stressed out elite public high schools in America, where we've had two suicide clusters of teenagers in the last eight to 10 years because the pressure here is so intense. Hmm. And, you know, I asked my, I told my daughter about all this yesterday. I said, what do you think? And she just said, it's so unfair for the kids who work so hard to get the grades and scores. It's so unfair to know that some kids are just sailing through the process on their parents' wealth. What do you think happens now? Like, I mean, we're we're talking about these indictments really pointing the finger at everyone. We're talking about the parents. We're talking about people who work in the colleges. We're talking about the college board because part of this scheme was getting someone to take your standardized tests for you. So it really looks like every step along the way, there's significant weakness and there's someone to point a finger at. So what do you think is going to happen next? You know, I think the finger is least pointed at the college admissions deans themselves. We don't yet have evidence that any of them were complicit in this. And I bet they're offended as hell that this has happened to their process. But I do think that those are the leaders who can step up and say, enough, You know, we're putting together a system that more fairly evaluates what a child has done in high school and what we think they're capable of in college. There are better ways to assess that than the ACT or the SAT. And I think it's time for for the smart people who who are experts in college admission to come up with a better system that is less gameable. And frankly, if the practice of accepting children of donors in exchange for those donors, you know, making large payments, if that practice went away, I wouldn't cry. The trouble is the universities rely on that to get their buildings built, to get their faculty chairs endowed. This is fundamentally a, a capitalist system and money is needed in order to make things happen. So, you know, oversight, regulation, ethics at the center of it. We need to just kind of tamp this down. We need to ratchet things back down um, so that it isn't as wildly out of control and gameable and and shameful as our present moment indicates it is. Can we interrogate that idea a little bit that the admissions officers or the colleges didn't know? Because in some ways, I can see how that would be possible. And then in other ways, I'm like, they had to know it's something. I mean, when you're sort of setting aside a certain number of seats and just, okay, those people will just get in. I don't know. It's it's hard to believe they didn't. You know, I, I, I don't believe that at a place like Stanford, the admissions dean was knowing about this and letting it slide. He's Rick Shaw is a person with tremendous integrity and he would have been disgusted by it. That doesn't mean it's not happening at some schools, but at a place like Stanford that takes incredible pride in the academic caliber of its students, you know, it doesn't want to damage its community by letting things like this happen. So I do believe this is the rogue behavior of, of in Stanford's case, a sailing coach, in Yale's case, a soccer coach, 
I think those were individuals who were compromised, accepting bribes for their program or for their own personal pocketbook. And uh, I don't think it reflects on the whole institution. Do you think this case is big enough and sort of juicy enough with enough, enough detail for folks to kind of sink their teeth into that it could cause real change in the admissions process? I do. I really do. You know, reform is possible. So I, I think that this is going to force uh, the smart people running these systems to come up with uh, a better way. They've just, families are let down. Kids are let down. And um, I think this is, this will be the example that, uh, that everyone will say changed the game. Hmm. Um, you sound skeptical. No, I'm, to- I'm, <laughs> I'm always skeptical. Do you know what I mean? Like, but I saw this and I was, I said this to someone else I was talking to today. I don't see you, how you don't have like congressional hearings after this mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like, it's just, mm. it's too, we're in this moment where we're telling people that we should have free college. We're in this right. moment where we're telling people, you know, for-profit colleges aren't good, but then you see the nonprofits acting like this. I just think that um, <laughs> it's ripe for a cleanup, but I'm not I'm not sure we're very good at fixing these things. Yeah, I agree with that. We're not good at it, but I think I think some attempt will be made. Julie, thank you so much for talking this out. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Julie Lithcott-Hames is the author of How to Raise an Adult. She's also the former dean of freshmen at Stanford University. All right, that's the show. If you want to read more about this scandal, Slate has done a bunch of stories on it this week. You can also sign up to Slate's newsletter, The Angle, where all this stuff is sure to be debated. If you've got comments or want to share, you can get to me at Mary's desk on Twitter. Until then, talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow. 